If I were to do it all over again, I would just tell myself, your happiness is what is what's most important. And that's why I think I was able to do the course correction that I did. Cause I was like, I don't give a fuck about money. I don't give a fuck about status or ego. I give a fuck that I wake up inspired. Welcome to the Big Kid Problems podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human being behind Big Kid Problems, Sarah Merrill. Now, I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about entering the adult world, and as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have Big Kid Problems. So each week, we will take a funny yet informative look at a specific Big Kid Problem, break it down with our roundtable panel, then have on an expert to help us solve our problem of the week. From love and relationships, career, money, physical and mental health, bad decisions, and just general life responsibilities, nothing is off limits. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to our season finale episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. Holy shit, I cannot believe this is the end of the first season. It all happened way too fast, and I'm actually really sad it's ending. But don't you worry, we are going to go out in style with a very, very special episode this week. We're talking about course correction, ladies and gents. So course correction is when you're going down a certain path in life and you make a conscious decision to take a hard turn or switch your path. And it can honestly be one of the scariest big kid problems you may face as an adult. Now, you've probably experienced quite a bit of this in your life already. For example, did you ever switch your major in college or Maybe you've gotten out of a relationship, or maybe you're doing something now career-wise that your five-year-old self never would have seen coming. Now, somewhere along the lines, you switch paths, and where you are now is completely different than where you would be if you had stayed on your course. So that's the thing with course correction. Like, they really fucking matter. And some decisions are way harder than others. Some decisions are like, unclear. And some decisions are just, you know, like imagine if you're walking down a path and being faced with a fork in the road and there's just really no way of knowing which way is better or what the outcome will be, but your whole life will be different because of it. I mean, this shit is scary. And that's why we're going to get into it today. Now we have on an all-star panel this week, and I'm so excited. We have Hannah Burner of the Burning in Hell podcast and Taylor Strecker of Taste of Taylor podcast, and they have both made life-altering course corrections in their lifetime. So we're going to get into how they did it, what held them back for so long, the fears they had to face, and the aftermath of their decisions. Then we really switch gears with our expert of the week, spiritual teacher and author, Viet Simkin. Now, we've all heard that a big part of making these types of life decisions is like all about like listening to your gut. But Viet is going to teach us how to like really dig into ourselves and make sure we are truly listening to our gut and not just hearing, you know, some of these voices inside of us that are telling us we're tired or scared or need to escape from our current situations because there is a difference. Yeah, shit is going to get real. 
She's also, I mean, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but she's also going to give us a little manifestation practice at the end of this episode, because if you can get clear about the path you want to go down, it makes course correcting along the way that much easier. So yeah, did I mention this is a really good episode? Because it's a really good episode. And without further ado, we're going to get started. So get excited and we will be right back. All right, welcome back. We are now joined with our roundtable of the week. I have Hannah Burner and Taylor Strucker. <gasps> it's an exciting one, guys. Um, Hannah Burner is the hilarious lady and host of the Burning in Hell podcast. She was also a content creator at Betches and is now one of the newest and craziest members of Bravo Summer House. What's up, world? (laughs) (laughs) So I've never made those weird sounds before or said what's up, world, but apparently that's what I do now. That's what you do now. Now they're famous. Um, (laughs) And of course, we have Taylor Strucker with us. She is the radio queen. She's the host of the Taylor Strucker Show. Uh She was with SiriusXM for over 10 years. She's also the host of Getting Younger and the Taste of Taylor Podcast. Boom, girl. You made me feel cool about myself. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so glad I got that done. (laughs) That was a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I get you guys The most anxiety justice. you've had all yeah, day. Yeah, literally. <laughs> all right, but we have you guys on. This is an important episode, you guys, because we were talking all about course correction, and this is a big, big kid problem, all right? Because this happens to all of us. Sometimes it happens on purpose. Sometimes it happens because you want to, want to but um, you might be going down a path in life mm-hmm. and realize that that path is not for you, and mm-hmm. you have to make a change. And mm-hmm. it is one of the fucking scariest, oh. realest, things that can happen in your adult life. And you both, I wanted to bring you both here because you have two different, wildly different examples of this. Hannah, this kind of happened for you in your career. And Taylor, this happened in your love life. Yes. And um, real quick, I should warn you guys, we try and keep these to like 30 minutes or less. And also no swearing. No, lots of swearing. Oh, thank fucking God. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But um, just give me like the general rundown. Um, Hannah, we'll start with you on like the big course correction that happened with you in your career. I think course corrections are beautiful. My energies shift and you have to let it happen. Just kidding. Um, So (laughs) I was always an athletic kid. I got, I decided tennis was my sport after playing a bunch of sports and I pretty much played tennis from eight to 22. That was my life. That's all I thought about all the time. That's the only thing that brought me joy or sadness. Like I literally was not affected by other things. I'm, I put all of my world and anxiety into my tennis. So, not to get too deep early on, but we're doing it. 9-11 happened. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, right when I started playing tennis. And I think I saw how scary the world was. And I was like, I want to play tennis. But tennis was not, even though it brought me a lot of like, it was good as a kid to get self-esteem and play sports. It also created a lot of anxiety and tension and family drama. Mm-hmm. It wasn't actually like that great for me besides that it looked great on paper. Were you having fun when you were doing it? I loved practice. I hated competition. Interesting. Competition was judgment day to me. And that's like, imagine Taylor, you're doing radio show and you hate every time you have to be on the radio. Well, I hate and when I get off the radio and have to then face judgment. True, true. And my thing was every time I hit the ball, I was facing judgment from like my team, my coach, my parents, the rankings, whatever. I just didn't like it. And it's sometimes with course correction, even though you're good at something, mm. doesn't mm. mean you're meant to do it. And the only way to realize that is by listening to yourself and your own voice. But I grew up listening to the voices of my coaches and my parents. And that was what like led me to the next day. What do I do? What do people want from me? So at 22, 
thank the Lord, something came over me and I was like, I don't want to go on tour, even though I could have. What's that mean? Sorry. Go on tour means after college tennis, you go play professionally, (gasps) but you have to pay your own money. You travel alone. Mm. Like, it's not like other professional sports where they give you like a coach and a team and then you just travel with them. It's you're entrepreneurial and you only get paid when you win. Mm. Oh God. So I basically was like, you know what? I've tortured myself for long enough. I felt like a tortured soul and I didn't tell anyone. So also it was like a secret. So when you keep something inside, Mm -hmm. it's really bigger. And I was like, mom and dad, I think I have some other skills in my life. So then I went into sales, which yet again, I was good at because I'm loud and competitive. (laughs) (laughs) And I was making money and miserable. And being miserable is not bad. Being miserable is literally the universe answering your question. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. It's true. I like that. So then I decided I want to be in video. I want to do video. I just didn't think it was something I could like actually have a real career from. I wanted to prove my parents that I could do like businessy things after being an athlete. Then I was like, fuck businessy things. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> fuck like sitting at a desk. And I started freelancing for Betches for like no money. And then eventually my stuff started to go viral. And the next thing you know, two years later, I have my own podcast. I um, am on a national television show. I have hundreds of viral videos at Betches. I mean, that's incredible. So like literally at any time you could change your course and shit can change for you. And Mm. I have no tolerance for doing shit you don't love. Amen. Figure Um, that shit out. We're going to come back to that for sure. (laughs) But I just have a question. So when you were doing tennis, like how long did you have that like that feeling that this that wasn't for you, that it, but you suffered through it. What's hard is that when you've always kind of had that feeling, you don't know it's wrong. Uh, it's like all I knew from huh. like from like eleven years old. I remember winning my first tournament and my dad getting so happy and I loved it. But like immediately, coaches were like, it was a combination of people telling me I was great and then feeling so much pressure to win all the time. And I just thought this is what comes with greatness. <laughs> This is what comes with being a top athlete. And I was like, you know, all the sports movies, they make it like you have to hate yourself and like go through so much pain to win. So I just thought that this is what I sacrificed to be great. And then one day I was like, wait, I don't have to like, I didn't hate myself. I just hated what I was doing. But I thought that was what you had to do to be great. Was to hurt. Yes, yeah. I was a masochist. Like I thought it had to be torture. And that's why I was better than the other girls because I was torturing myself more and I was working harder. But ultimately I stopped doing it because I was I was full of anxiety and I was getting all these mental issues on the court where I like would forget how to hit a forehand, couldn't hit a serve. Did you have a moment where you were like, I'm fucking out? I tried to quit at 16 because I was like, I was in Florida and I was alone and I was like, suffering with like a little eating disorder because I was being a perfectionist. And my dad was like, I love you regardless if you want to play or not. And I was like, you know what? I put too much into this. I have to keep going for myself. And I played on the boys tennis team in high school. And I went on to like win. The- you played on a boys tennis team? Yeah, my high school didn't have a girls tennis team. <laughs> so they've had men. The- How like- progressive. I'm like, like, what's up, Amanda Bynes? <laughs> <laughs> great movie. Thank you. She's the man. Great movie. Side note, Amanda said that she's the man, which is iconic, traumatized her because she hated how she looked as a boy. Oh, really? Yeah. And that makes me so upset because I watched that movie and I was like, I want to be Amanda Bynes. So long story short. <laughs> I don't regret not quitting at 16, but at 22, it was the first time I did something selfish for me, which was, good word. I kind of want to 
see what I want to do. Because by the time like you have something that's bigger than you, so many more people are involved than you. I have my sponsor. Mm-hmm. I have my full scholarship. I had my parents who had invested money. Like there's so many more complications. It's mm-hmm. not that for a young person to deal with, I wasn't mature enough. If I were to do it all over again, I would just tell myself your happiness is what is what's most important. And that's why I think I was able to do the course correction that I did. Because I was like, I don't give a fuck about money. I don't give a fuck about status or ego. I give a fuck that I wake up inspired and can get out of bed. Damn, girl. Amen. I'm Amen. inspired. I want to give up my career and just start over again. <laughs> I don't know what you for. You can. But... There's no age limit. <laughs> no, I, I don't that. want to. I take that back. <laughs> yeah. I like your career, Taylor. Thanks, girl. You did pretty good for yourself. I'll figure it out day by day. <laughs> she is. She is. <laughs> Story of my life. Speaking of Taylor, we're going to switch over to you, girlfriend. I'm ready. Give us... because, and, and then I'm going to like really break down and we're going to get into like questions about like the fear and like all that shit. Mm-hmm. But Taylor, give us a rundown of like the big course correction that happened in your life. So my course correction was that I was married to a man for five years. We were together a total eight years, dating, engagement, marriage. Um, and then we got separated and then I decided to be a late in life lesbian. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> did, you, did you decide? No. Or- I don't know. And listen, I know in the LGBTQ community, which I'm now proud to be a member of and was always a supporter of, I, you know, I know the word choose is a bad word because it's like I was born that way, right? Or I was born this way or, you know, I mean, this is out of my control. And I so subscribe to that. But I think I use the word chose because I chose to be happy and leave what was safe and what was expected of me. And I chose to like go a path that I didn't even anticipate or see coming at any direction, any time of my life. So that's why I say chose. Because I mean, am I a lesbian? I like a soft ass. I don't like a hard Z. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> lesbian. I like... I, I mean, I don't like that term. But maybe I'm just like coming to terms with the idea that I, I am gay. My girlfriend and I were just talking about this last, last night. She was like, you're gay. And I was like, you're gay. <laughs> um, I like, like, the word gay is fine. I hate the word bisexual. I'm not trying to insult anybody who's bisexual. It's just for me, I feel like if I was dating a bisexual, I'd be terrified because I'm really jealous. So I feel like if I were like, I'm bisexual, my girlfriend would be like, hoo, ha, hoo, to like everybody. When was the last time you were attracted to a man? <sighs> I mean, anytime I watch a Zac Efron movie. But he has that like lady energy. I know, I know. I mean, pretty eyes. <laughs> well, also, I have a friend whose dad's like super, super hot. And whenever any, whenever anyone's around him, though, it's like everyone has a crush on him. So Ooh, I guess, I, I guess, love a, good a week ago, I love a zaddy. <laughs> yeah, zaddy. he's just so handsome. Um, but that's, I, that's pretty crazy. I mean, that's a huge transition. And yeah. like you said, you didn't see it coming at all. I never was attracted to girls. I never like did the thing where I made it with my friends. I did once, but it was for food. It was survival mode. I needed pita pit. Did you like it? <laughs> No, I hated it. It was so awkward. We were like sisters and it was like so creepy. And then, yeah, I mean, I used to hate that Katy Perry song. I kissed a girl and I liked it. Liked it. I hated that song because I felt like it was her trying to get male attention from like her sexuality. Yeah. And I was raised super Catholic. So the thing is, my therapist actually was like, I think you may have always been, but you wouldn't even let yourself go there. So it was just like so many years of like subconscious suppression. But I never really liked having sex with guys, but I just thought neither did most women. And they, when women go through menopause, they don't really like having sex with guys, right? I mean, yeah. my mom's not like, sorry, dad. But you weren't going through menopause. <laughs> Maybe I was. <laughs> but I had all these fucking excuses for yeah. why 
I didn't like it, but don't forget, I was working, I started my career working for Cosmopolitan Magazine. That is the sex Bible. It was my job to share my like dating advice and like my experiences and sex. And I was like, oh, blowjob, who wants them? Like I was the worst <laughs> sex leader in the world. And then when I came out, everyone's like, oh, it all makes sense now. And I'm like, yeah, same. But so weren't you afraid to come out on oh. air? Because it, it took me a year you could to come lose out on your air. job based on. Well, I like, did. <laughs> you came out while you were still with Cosmo. Um, so I was at Cosmo for like six years, and then Cosmo, um, the editor in chief, left, and so the, they had a new editor in chief come in, and they just normally clean house. It's like what they do to put their stamp on the magazine and like the offshoot brands. So I was then uh, moved over to a, uh, another serious channel called Stars, where they put like it was like Jenny McCarthy, Dr. Laura, Maria Menounos. It was like any. Honestly, it was the only female programming station. So they were just like, if you have a vagina, this is where you go. And, and so, I mean, like, it wasn't off-brand for me to be a lesbian at that point, but it was definitely, like, a scary thing of, like, yeah, is this going to... It was more like, is my audience not going to relate to me anymore? And, you know, are they going to accept me? And it was it was really, really scary. Do you think there are a lot of people like you out there who I are think so surprised? So many people. I think... I really think sexuality is fluid. And I think that some people fall on like the super hardcore straight spectrum and other people are the gayest of the gay. But I think the majority of people are somewhere in the middle. And so I think like for me, it was my girlfriend that got me to see that like I was even open to that. But yeah, so I mean, I got a divorce. That alone was me changing the course of my life. Oh, yeah. That was what I thought my big change was. To fucking fall in love with my friend who's a lesbian. I was like not, did not see that one coming. And divorce in a Catholic family is like not. Oh, yeah. My parents were actually supportive of the divorce. They were. They were How great with it. How long were you married for? F- almost five years. And if wow. I stayed a little bit longer, I will got more money, honey, but I had to get out. <laughs> <laughs> See, money does not equal happiness sometimes. Yeah, so, sometimes. sometimes. But so my parents were amazing about the divorce, but not so amazing initially about the me loving or hooking up or whatever you want to call it with a girl. And my mom like outed me. When I came home for a visit and I had like to... You didn't tell her? She no. told you? She said to me, are you in love with Taylor? Because, oh, my girlfriend's also named Taylor. Gay! Um, <laughs> Taylor just loves herself. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm Taylor sexual. I only hook up with Taylors. <laughs> if your name is Taylor, watch out. But yeah, so I basically... the di- Getting divorced was like me changing the course of my life. And then me me allowing myself to get involved with Taylor and like follow that path. That was me... Honestly, I think it takes so much to get a divorce. And what what happens is once you do some sort of a, a change of course, you become like addicted to it. And then it's like, oh, oh my God, wait. So I took a left when I was supposed to take a right. And now there's like three more roads that I can go. It's kind of empowering, overwhelming, crazy. I really thought I was losing my mind. I just got chills. Yeah, well, I think that's probably coming from, you know, if you make a big change like that and then you like get that relief and it yeah. feels so good. You're yeah. like, fuck, what else can I change? Well, that's the thing. And it was like, well, I, I've, I've always done what I should do and I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And I just got a divorce, yeah. which is not, you don't, you're not supposed to do that. And now I want to make out with this girl. So fuck it, I'm going to do it. And if I like it, if I like it, I can continue liking it. I'm going to stay with it. But trust me, I mean, when we were first like getting involved, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, this could go, this could go a hard left at any given time. Like I could be like, no, I'm out. This is freaking me out, you know? So I kind of just took it like step by step. And she was also like super patient with me. So that was very helpful too. Yeah, I'm sure that helps. Mm. Now I want to take like a step back with both of you guys. And this is actually funny. Like I went to a Tony Robbins conference this year. (gasps) Yeah, it was crazy. But he talks about like these course corrections and how they happen in like steps. Like you take a step, you take a step and then like the door opens. And if you don't jump through in that moment, you have to go go back. And, it's wow. like, and you go back and, and go through it again. So 
when at what point is this like you mean like the universe in general how they yeah like you the door closes and you like go go back to step one but then you get there get there and then the door opens again. question so if i had jumped on taylor figuratively and literally then i would have had to be a later in life lesbian a later like you could have been dating a guy again or i would have got married had kids well you might have just like put it off for another year you know what i mean oh that's until you had like the realization again so that's kind of what i wanted to ask you guys like when 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 did you realize that you were on the wrong path? Like, well, it's funny because with tennis, when I was 16, I went to tennis academy, started, was ranked 250 in the world Jeez. in 18 and unders at 16. I've never been ranked for anything <laughs> other than like, but it, rankings hot dog drive contest. you insane because I mean, look at even iTunes rankings. They yeah. start to control your ego and it's just not healthy. It's like Facebook. It's like Facebook likes. How old am I? It's like Instagram likes or followers or the verification badge. So it just fucks with your head. But even though everyone was like, oh my God, Hannah, we're so proud you're 250. My heart sank because I was like, oh my God this path is like working and I don't think I want to do it. Mm. And that's when I felt really out of control. I wasn't my parents. I started like restricting my eating because I was trying to be perfect. And I thought if I could do everything right, I would start feeling better on the inside Mm. and it wasn't helping. So I went back home at 16 and said, dad, I want to quit. And then I decided not to because I thought there was more to me because I, I, I really did. You got to the door. I got to the door and then I ended Mm -hmm. up playing Got a full ride at University of Wisconsin. I played for the boys soon. So like I had seven, six more years. Mm-hmm. And then I was out. Of course, correct. So, so sometimes, and it's okay if you don't do it the first time, because I think I actually needed more. Mm-hmm. And I could have easily pl- went and played on tour. But some, it's until your heart is really ready. Mm-hmm. And I could argue you can go to these conferences mm-hmm. and they tell you like, no, they tell you what you should do. But it's really, you know what you should do. Oh, yeah. Your voice in your head tells you what to do. Don't listen to podcasts that tell you what you should do. Just stop and listen. And if you don't listen, your body will actually have physical manifestations. So, <laughs> oh, my God. And I learned this when I went to therapy. So I knew I wasn't supposed to marry husband. That's what I call him. Before we got married, I was... I called our wedding planner and I was like, can we postpone the wedding? And she said, absolutely not. You can cancel. Did you know why you were doing that? Or it was just like... I was fighting with his family. I was fighting with him. We were fighting over religion. I was like, wait, what happened? (laughs) It was like, we dated. It was a whirlwind. He whined and dined me and traveled all over the world. He swept me away off my feet. Like The Bachelor. Yeah, like literally New York City (laughs) Bachelor. And he was also a very nice, good human being. And so, and he was successful. He was all the things I was supposed to be, you know, with. Supposed to, yeah. There's that word Mm -hmm. again. And then during our engagement planning, that's when all the shit hit the fan. Like literally, I was like, oh fuck, this is not my life. These are not my people like his family did not like me we were constantly fighting it was like oh my god it was nonstop. so i called my um planner and she said either you go with through with it or you just put you because postponing is the same punishment as canceling but then you just have to repay again so i didn't have the courage i was 27 i was on a radio show talking about my my engagement and my perfect life and i just didn't have the courage to go through with it and i knew it was wrong i got really hammered not that i don't like to drink every day but i got especially wasted the my rehearsal dinner and my mom and i were in a huge fight my whole wedding day which we like never fight like the only times we fought were then when i was in high school for like a year and then like when i first came out about my girlfriend taylor and now my mom's like on board and so amazing about it but i knew i knew it was it it was wrong we everybody that was at the wedding my friends family everybody knew it was like a marriage made in fucking hell it was as hot as hell on our wedding day and um 
And then we kept going in and out of um, couples therapy. And I just, I couldn't get the courage to pull the trigger and do it. I mean, clearly, five years. But the door was open for a second. It was. But I remember... Well, there was two things. So the first thing was that I remember when I would think about our future, like we were we were traveling to these beautiful locations. We had this beautiful life, this gorgeous apartment, everything I wanted financially, we had and more. And I remember being like, we're in the most beautiful places in the world and I'm miserable and we're fighting. It almost made it worse because it was so special and like people dream of getting to stay at the such and such in Florence, Italy. And it was like, guilty. yeah, we were like miserable. Uh, And I remember thinking about the future and I was like, this was for me. I was like, we're going to have kids because that's what we have to do. But like, I'm already sad about our kids leaving because then we're going to be stuck alone again together. Wow. So that I wasn't excited about the future and then I ignored it and then it started to manifest itself physically. And so I went to a doctor and I was like, I need medication to sleep at night. I was up all night long. I couldn't sleep. I was having the worst insomnia due to like a physical ailment. And okay, fine. I had hemorrhoids. They were like, like next level. And I had to sleep in the bathtub. It It was crazy. I mean, it was so bad. It's like the grossest thing in the world. Did you get skinny after? Um, no. And so, (laughs) oh, actually for a little bit. And then I fell in love again. And then I get it all back. But basically, so I went to this doctor and I was like, I need Ambien. I need this, I need that. And the doctor was like, ma'am, you have, um, this is psychological. And I was like, are you calling me crazy? So I had to go to a psychiatrist to get medication. That was my only motivation because I needed to goddamn sleep. Yep. And when I went to him, he's like, listen, we call the butthole the second brain. And I was like, you're really? kidding. Yes. I've never heard you say this. I've I'm never so heard that. And he said, you're, you have been suppressing. He said, go through your track record since you've been with husband. And I said, it was like, all, it was, it was like, you know, I had GERD. It was like all gastro, like intestinal problems. And he said, the gastro um, part of your body, it's like, it's most in tune with your emotions and your brain. And so when you're suppressing your true feelings, and ignoring them, your body will let you know in other ways. I would have diarrhea before every tennis match. Mm-hmm. Wow. Maybe the butthole really is the second brain. It is. I think I'm going to like change I think the we know name what of the this title. <laughs> the butthole is the second brain. It is. It's, it's very true. If your mind isn't telling you something, the body will start telling mm-hmm. you. It's, that's incredible. It is very, very I true. Like to, what's that game that you play in the arcade that like you, it, it hits around, it hits around things, it goes in. It's ping, ping, ping pong? pong? No, ping, ping pong. Uh, it's, and it has the two levers at the bottom. Oh, uh, uh, pinball. Pinball. I like to think that your life is like a pinball machine where you can make decisions and do anything and the universe will kick you back in the right place. Like there's no wrong, like the universe at the end of the day, these signs like your butthole hurting <laughs> or like getting fired. It's just the universe going, hey, 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 go over here. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. You didn't know where I was going with pinball I machine. Was, no. You were worried. <laughs> she was worried. <laughs> no, I, I had faith. I had faith. Um, something you mentioned, Taylor, and I want to go back to this a little bit, but you were talking about like letting people down. Mm. And I think that that's like a big, big thing that like when people are getting ready to make a life transition, like that will hold them back. Death. Other than that, like what do you think are some of like the big, the biggest fears that kept you guys from making those calls early on? Like what do you think was maybe the hardest? The hardest, I'm going to be totally honest and raw. The hard, I was, I was from a very traditional family. Moms were stay at home moms and dads went and they, you know, they, they brought the bread home. That for me was the scariest thing was like, how am I going to survive? And I was like, oh, I will find another rich husband. So I moved to Wall Street, literally, literally the, the land of men with money. Cause I was like, I'll make somebody in my building or some shit like that. And then I, when I fell in love with Taylor, I was like, fuck, she was a nanny at the time. The universe laughed at you. Yeah, it did. So, but that for me, like, was, and I will be totally honest, is still one of the scariest things because 
you know, we, we know that women make less money than men, you know, typically. And I think it's just harder for women to survive financially on their own, or even if they're in a couple together than it is for men. And that's something that has to change in our society. Mm -hmm. And like, I hope to be a ray of light in that direction for other women, whether they're straight or gay, but like, you don't need a man to financially survive. That's something that I hope to be like an example of. Plus, if I'm setting that example, then it means I'm rich as shit. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I would argue if you look at history, lesbians have been the trailblazers because they like aren't distracted by men to doing like incredible things. You know, real talk, like I didn't even think about that in terms of a a lesbian. lesbian, (laughs) Thank you. uh, Relationship. But that is, I'm sure that is a thing. It's my dad's number one biggest fear. Like Mm -hmm. he'll say to me, like, I'm just, you know, I'm just worried about like how you guys are gonna be financially. And it's, it's, he loves me. So he's just wanting me to to be protected and safe. But like my, my dad's view of the world is like the man makes the money. That's his identity. So like, he looks at me and my girlfriend like, wait, that's a, what? It's adorable that he says that, but like, just show him. I know. Just yeah. show him. But those society, like societal norms, like that, that is a huge factor that keeps huge. you like thinking that you can't do something else because mm-hmm. you're just like, you're almost like trapped. Yeah. I mean, think about how many women are like dating. They're like, oh, when I meet the guy of my dreams, like, you know, he'll pay for everything. Right. I mean, I'm older a little bit than you guys. Yeah. So there, there could be like that, like elder millennial versus like millennial, millennial difference. I love the idea of being financially independent and never having to owe a guy anything. Yeah, same. It's, um, it's the way it has to be. I was afraid of letting my eight-year-old self who had a dream of becoming a tennis player down. Oh, Is that sad? so sad. Oh I literally God. was like that little girl, you're letting her down because you're being crazy right now. And you're tired and you know. And you're tired and you're stressed. I mean, and I was just like, that little girl just wants to... And then I was like, the little girl doesn't understand. And then I realized, like, I'm not that little girl anymore. That right. little girl just liked hitting the ball. Yeah. And I still love hitting the ball. I still go and play tennis. And also knowing, like, the money my family put into the sport. Mm. And I've talked to my parents before and they're like, if it wasn't tennis, we would put it into something else. Yeah. But, like, I'm very fortunate that, like, my parents sacrificed money to do what I want. That's why. Yeah. You've mentioned too, though, that your dad was like super into the tennis with you. Oh, so did you? Were you like nervous about that? He was living vicariously through me for sure, which is like fun because when you win, you feel like you both win, and then when you lose, he's so mad at you. (laughs) (laughs) Fun because he like the dinner table is not happy, um, a happy place. We've never had a better relationship. Now that's awesome, and. He doesn't know anything about reality TV, and he's keep it that way. He keep, it stays, <laughs> yeah, like, right. He, he laughs at me and he watches it and he supports it, but at no time he could can he like tell me I did something wrong or whatever. So, and actually, the season of Summer House, you see me and my dad talk through some stuff because I just wanted to show that the relationship with your dad isn't like that corny. Oh, I'm a daddy's girl. Like it's actually complex, and it has to be shown in the media that women are not just like daddy's girls. Totally, and daddy issues are way deeper than that. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy issues are complex. <laughs> they are. They really are. Um, what's one thing, because I know we are kind of like talking uh, about, you know, this, the key, like going through the door, that like re- that part where you go through the transition. Mm. What was like one thing that really got you through that hard time? Oof. Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, kind of. Um, God, kind what of. was it? Sometimes it's hitting rock bottom. When yeah. I'm thinking about a recent breakup, it took me literally being like, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, now my mom hates him because I told her everything. Aye. I'm at rock bottom. And you you don't see another way. 
Like sometimes you have to go so dark, like where yep. Taylor literally is like, I can't be in this marriage any for another second. Yeah, and your butthole would to. not let you. My butthole was saying no as I was asleep <laughs> in the bathtub with Epsom salt everywhere. You, it literally can be rock bottom and then you just have no choice. And that's if you're ignoring your the whispers in your head. Okay, I found my answer. I forgot, but I remembered. So as I was separating from my husband before pre-Lesbo, okay? So just getting the, the, the that, force, that first course correction. Um, I intentionally surrounded myself with my own friends, not our people, mm-hmm. not like his people. I wasn't even like breaking off with like his guy friends' wives or anything. I was like, I made all brand new friends, even like my friends from college that overlapped with me and him or him and I. I didn't even want like that. I wanted to be completely 110% my people's. And I like created, created this like little group like of girls and I was surrounding myself with positive light people. And I was like, I wanted to be celebrated, not tolerated. So if you celebrated me, you got to be my my core group of friends. And if you didn't, you were fucking the fuck out. out. Yeah. And Taylor was one of those friends who was in that, who in that crew. Light. Who brought light. But I like, I intentionally, like I anticipated for it and I knew I needed my own support system. So you kind of subconsciously knew. Yeah, I guess so, right? You were prepared. You know when, when you're like not liking a guy and you start like, you notice that you left an earring and you take it. Like, <laughs> it's just single life. But you like subconsciously, you're like, I'm not going to be here for a long time. Yep. Ooh. It was like you were doing that without having to make the official decision yet. And he kept like trying to come and meet my new friends. And I was like, no, they're my friends. You can't be friends with them. Don't tarnish. I didn't want light. to share. No. Mm-mm. All right. I've got a hard question for you guys. Okay. What is... um. Do you have any regrets or wish you could do anything different about the way you did your transition? Oh, the transition. Bringing it, bringing it down. I wish I trusted myself more. If you, I didn't, it took so long to trust that I was like, there's no right or wrong. The only thing that's true is listening to yourself. Everyone's mm-hmm. unique. If you're tell, if it's your authentic voice, not your dad's, not your mom's, not your coaches, not your sisters, not your parents, it's you and it's what you want. It's going to be okay. I'm going to say the thing that I always hate when people say when they're like, no regrets. Because I'm what used to be like, fuck that. Like, who doesn't have regrets? I regret everything I do every single day. <laughs> but when you're actually finally in a, in a place where you're happy, you can't regret. Because to regret is to like, for example, I got fired from Sirius. I could say, oh, well, I regret ever doing that trip that, you know, whatever made them think they had a reason to fire me. That's still debatable. But no, because if they if that hadn't happened, then I wouldn't have my own independent radio show and I wouldn't be thriving and like growing in my career. I would have been stagnant. So I feel like, to, yeah, of course, there's things like you're like, well, I wish you didn't get fired because that fucking sucks. But at the same time, it's like, but if it didn't happen, I don't think I would have ever had the courage to pull the plug on my own. So, or, or same thing with getting married. Like if I hadn't had that experience of husband and his family, I wouldn't value the beautiful relationship I have so much now, you know? So I think you need that. And knowing that it's not being scared of things going downhill because it's only going to help you. Yep. Yep. Like even starting a podcast and no one listens, it's like how you learn from it. Not that this is going to happen. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen if you're going to start a podcast because you want to? Right. You're going to be okay and you're going to learn from it. And also when you go through those failures or course corrections, you realize like you can recover from anything. Right. Maybe you learn, maybe you have a face for video and you don't have a voice for radio. Right. You know, you're on video. Exactly. Next, you know, you're in Summer House getting drunk. (laughs) (laughs) This is not what happened to me. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it's an option. All right. We're going to wrap this up, guys. But what is one piece of advice for someone who is maybe scared, maybe like thinking about doing a course correction that you would give them? I'm going to take what you told me on our episode of Burning in Hell. Oh. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I'm on your... I'm on your yeah, so Sarah went on Burning in Hell where I talked to people about their demons and she said, life is not 
a dress rehearsal. Oh, you remembered. It shook me <laughs> because it's like, what are you waiting for? Yeah. Go out there. Mm-hmm. Do it. Mm-hmm. This is one life. Sorry, I'm going to say it. YOLO. I said it. <laughs> I'm going to say <laughs> therapy. Yeah. Therapy. I love therapy. I think True. if you're a human being on this earth, you should have it should be we should it should be a responsibility for us to uh, to all go to therapy. So, I would say if you're having like an internal struggle, whatever it is, whether it's leaving your career or leaving your marriage or, you know, maybe you want kids when you're not sure, like whatever that is, I would say seek out talk therapy specifically. You can do it with like a sociologist, you can do it with a psychiatrist, psychologist, <laughs> doesn't matter. You can, right? So, no, that's yeah. wrong. I, I think it's... Um, social worker. Social worker, yeah. <laughs> or sociologist. I thought you were going to say zoologist. And I was like, oh. You know what? That too. As long as they're talking to you, it doesn't really matter. But I do think that therapy definitely gave, empowered me to do a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have the courage to do otherwise. I also have one more thing. If you're asking yourself if you should do something, you should. Like if you're like, should I break up with him? Yeah. Should I leave my job? Yeah. If you have to ask, it means that's what you want to do. I'm going to say, give, give, ask yourself that five times. <laughs> and then put your heels to it, together and make a wish. And then go to therapy. And then listen, listen to your butthole. Just listen to your butthole. You know what? Listen I take it back. Just listen butthole. to your butthole. It will tell you what's up. Stick around and we will be right back with our expert of the week. All right, you guys may not know this about me because I'm sure it sounds like I have my shit together, but I am not a morning person. I normally need an extra large coffee before my brain even turns on, and then I need another coffee around 11, and then I'm all jacked up on caffeine and my anxiety kicks in, and like, let me tell you, it's a whole mess. But that was before I discovered Strong Coffee Company about a year ago. So strong coffee is like a healthy coffee on steroids. It looks like a protein powder. It's so easy to make. All you do is you mix it with hot or cold water. I usually do the latte flavor with hot water. It's so delish. And then it's packed with all this extra good stuff like collagen protein to support healthy skin, hair, and nails, MCT oil, which helps cognitive function, and hyaluronic acid to rejuvenate and hydrate your skin all while you're just drinking your morning coffee. Now, that MCT oil is like what gives it that extra kick. It's not quite an Adderall, but you definitely feel more focused than your average cup of coffee. And then there's L-theanine in it, which supports calm focus and memory. So you don't get those jitters you get when you drink regular coffee or, or take an Adderall. Now, I love it and I've been using it every day. It's replaced coffee for me. Um, And I am so pumped that Strong Coffee Company is joining the Big Kid Problems family and offering our listeners 20% off your first purchase. So if you want to give it a try, go to strongcoffeecompany.com and use code BIGKID at checkout for 20% off. Um, I will also link it in our show notes. But again, that's strongcoffeecompany.com and use code BIGKID at checkout. All right, we are talking about course corrections this episode. And if you haven't picked up some morning recovery by this point in the season when I've been talking it up all season long, you really should probably course correct and get on it. But that's why you need morning recovery. Morning recovery is the drink for when you drink. All you have to do is drink one morning recovery before you go to bed after a night of drinking to help your body detox, rehydrate, and bounce back 
so you can have fun at night and do more the next day. Morning Recovery Secret is DHM, a plant-derived superhero ingredient that helps speed up the breakdown of alcohol-induced toxins so you can wake up feeling refreshed and not regretting your entire life the next morning. (laughs) That's a plus. Um, And if you don't love it, you get your money back. So there's really no reason not to try Morning Recovery. And they have a special deal for our listeners. So if you're interested, go to morelabs.com slash bigkid for 20% off your entire order when you use code bigkid at checkout. So if you've ever felt like crap the day after drinking, you need to try morning recovery. I honestly, I use it and swear by it. I tell all my friends and I'm telling you guys right now, get yourself a six pack, a 12 pack or a 24 pack for 20% off. So highly recommend to do it now at morelabs.com slash bigkid and then use that bigkid code at checkout. Welcome back to the Big Kid Problem Podcast. I am joined now with Viet Simkin. She is a spiritual teacher, a recording artist, and an author of a brand new book called Don't Just Sit There, 44 Insights to Get you Your Meditation Practice Off the Cushion and Into the Real World. Hey, Viet. Hey. <laughs> How are you? Good. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's my pleasure. It's so good to see you always. I know. It's good to see you too. And you're on our final episode of the season. So this is kind of a big deal. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I love to, to big finishes. I know. Exactly. <laughs> and um, I thought it would be awesome to have you on here because you you just have like such an interesting way of looking at things. And I think that you could be really helpful to anybody who's going through this particular struggle. And even if it's not, if you're not going through the struggle completely, but if you want to make like even incremental changes in your life, I think uh, we can get some really good tidbits from you. Oh, thanks. So yeah. So we are obviously talking about course correction and, you know, when somebody's going down a path in their life, just on our round table, talked about somebody who changed their complete career and somebody who got out of a marriage, you know, and completely changed their relationship. So for anybody who's facing one of these big course corrections in their life, what do you, what's your, your recommendation? Because it can be really scary. Yeah, it can be really scary. And I think that, you know, the truth is a lot of us are, are full of shit when we're thinking about course correcting, right? So because like course correction can come from two different places inside of ourselves. Like course correction can come from a deep yearning of true desire or it can come from a bullshit desire, right? And bullshit desires are much more often and prevalent in our lives than real. Real desires are like uh, sort of like a, a diamond in the rough or like a pearl at the bottom of the ocean. They're, they're, they're hard to find. They're harder to find. It's much more common that we run into bullshit um, in our in ourselves if we're, if we're being honest about it, right? Course correction is often like someone just yearning to run from something in their life that makes them uncomfortable. So it's like you hate your circumstances circumstances. You hate where you live. You hate the breakup you just went through. You hate your job, whatever. And then you figure, okay, I'll just up and run. Like I'll just like leave everything and start something totally new. And the problem with that is that if you do that, and I'm not saying don't do that, like go ahead and try that. But like (laughs) if you do, you'll end up wherever the fuck you just went and you'll just be there. It'll be you all over again, like the same fridge, the same fucking bar, the same fucking people. And you'll even go and find the same girlfriend slash boyfriend wherever the fuck you moved. Like Just in a different body. Yeah, like sort of different body, right? (laughs) Like for all of us who know, we know, like we basically find the same person over again. We're like, ooh, that looks just like Matthew. Like I'm just gonna, you know, do that again. Yeah. So so anyway, so with course correction, like we really want to dig deep into ourselves and get clear on 
that this desire to 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 leave and shift is not a desire to bolt, but a desire to truly enlarge and enhance our life and actually like take courageous leaps into something that is maybe harder actually or more uncomfortable and not just like an easier, softer path that we're like, oh, I'm just going to like puddle down into like an easier version of myself. Ooh, okay. So that's actually really interesting. And I kind of want to like, let's get into it. So if you're, say you're in this uh, situation and you're struggling and trying to maybe find out if uh, what you're, the change that you're looking for is an authentic change versus a bullshit, what did you call it? A bullshit change? Bullshit change. Bullshit change, which (laughs) God, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, probably guilty of a few of those. How do you get clear like within yourself to kind of like figure that out? Because that's a lot easier said than done, right? Yeah, it it is easier said than done. Um, There's a couple things. So, I mean, one is beginning to listen to the sound of the voice in your head telling you you need to make this change. So there's two types of voices in our head. There's one that's like really loud and glaring and it's very like, you gotta go, you gotta go, you gotta make the change, you gotta go, you gotta do this, you're gonna gonna fucking die, right? And it's like really manic and insane. So if you're hearing that voice, you can be sure that that's, that's the bullshit change. If it's like, maybe you should do that. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Like, maybe you should, maybe you should move. Like, if it's really quiet and super calm, that's a sign that you're moving in the right direction. Because the truth is very gentle and it's very quiet. And that's why we often don't hear it. Hmm. And so the next thing you want to do is like learn to get quiet enough to hear it. Because if we don't learn how to get quiet, we're going to live a life where we're constantly running from that insane ego voice in our head being like, you got to go. You got to change it. Fuck this person. Fuck this place. Fuck this job. Ah, I hate it so much. Like, and, and just so you know, like I'm only sharing this because I'm one of you. Like I have that voice in my head as well. I just don't listen to it today. Yeah. You know, and I've learned how to listen to this quieter voice. And so that brings us to meditation and prayer, which I talk about in the book. I'm like super not religious. So I just want to be super clear that I'm talking about something that's non-religious. It's not about Jesus or it can be if you want it to be, but whatever. The point is we want to start communicating with this inner part of ourselves that Mm -hmm. is like, hey, maybe you shouldn't fuck that person. It's like really (laughs) quiet, you know? And I I don't know about you, but like I used to hear that voice and I'd be like, maybe you shouldn't fuck that person. I'm just saying, maybe you shouldn't fuck them. And I'd be like, fuck you. Like I was like, I'm going to fuck this person. I'm going to fuck who Whoever I want to fuck, you know? And then my life would like, we'd break up three weeks later and it was like this huge mishap. And it was like, didn't you hear that voice? Like you always admitted in the end, it was like on date one, the voice was there being like, this person is so wrong for you. And 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 I was like, shh, 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 shh. And then like pounding whiskey and then like fucking him and being like, <laughs> what? Like I totally, I didn't hear that. Or or the, or they'd say this, like I'd date these guys and they'd be like, yeah, I'm just looking for something like real easy breezy, you know, like not a oh, commitment. And I'd be like, that's cool, me too. Just <laughs> total bullshit. <laughs> but I was like, they're going to come around, you know, and I'd fuck them. And then the three weeks later, they were like, how about that thing that I said where I was like, not going to date yeah, you? And I where was I like, spelled what? it out. Yeah. yeah, where I spelled it out for you on date one. And I'm like, I don't remember that. <laughs> You're like, uh, no. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's, that's very interesting. And I kind of want to like get into, you know, understanding like the differentiating voices within you because um, if somebody is does not have any basis of like meditation or like getting clear with yourself, like where do you even start? Yeah. I mean, in my book, I talk about this. It's really just about creating some space where you ask the question. So for instance, like humbling yourself enough to say in the morning, uh, like, I don't know 
what to do with this day. So whoever you are, whatever you are, I know that you're out there somewhere or maybe deep inside me, like just help me with today. Just like be with me and like help direct my thinking. So that would be one thing. And then another thing that I use is like as the day goes forward, as I get distressed. So anything that stresses me out, anything that pisses me off, anything that makes me feel sad. And that's for anyone who's listening, like 40, 50 times a day. I mean, come on, like, let's get, let's get real. Like life is weird. And so as it's coming, I would use those as signals. Like who needs an alarm in your phone when every time you're upset, you're like, it's a signal to do a little bit of asking, which I call it asking in the book. Cause I don't want to associate it with prayer specifically, but just mm-hmm. like asking, like, what am I asking? Well, there's a part of you that like really knows what your destiny is. There's a part of you that knows who your right partner is. There's a part of you that knows what the perfect career is for you, a perfect place to live for you. And I spent my whole life not listening to that part of me until I started using asking. Mm. And so my life was like, my baby died and my house burnt down and I was doing heroin every day and cocaine and I dated all the wrong guys and slept with some wrong girls. Like I did all the things that you could possibly do. And my life was like corroded by loss and tragedy and sadness. But at least I got some drugs while I was doing it. I get that. (laughs) But once I started asking, it was like everything fell into place. And all I had to do was like touchstone was the signal was like, if I'm upset, if I'm distressed, if I'm feeling off in any way, I'm just going to stop everything I'm doing for one second, just one second Mm -hmm. and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this without you. Please help me, whatever the fuck you are, right? And it yeah. doesn't have to be religious. It's just like, I know you're in me. Like my, I call it the soul because it's like, I think we can all feel like there's something between us all that connects us all. Totally. And so I started speaking to that and it's like everything changed in my life. You know, I, I went from being poor to being rich. I went from being single to being in a relationship for nine years. I went from having like a $20 an hour job to having like career beyond my wildest dreams, flying all over the world, you know, guiding thousands of people. Mm. So it's different. Yeah, definitely different. So when you like, you're, you're, you have those moments and then you're getting quiet with yourself, asking yourself the question, like you mentioned those signs. Like what kind of, give me an example of a sign. Cause I, I have done this too. And it does kind of sound like prayer, you know, like when, yeah. you, when you think of like that traditional idea of prayer. And uh, I mean, <laughs> I've taken like, I feel like I wonder if I've taken things as signs that like weren't actually signs. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. sure. Like, yeah. like I was, uh, when I was actually um, about to move to LA, I was like, give me a sign. Like, you know, like totally. let me know. Cause I, I was so scared to leave New York and I was like right. asking for signs. And then like um, my Amazon, I usually get these like six month boxes of like toilet paper sent to my apartment. Okay, and then nice. like my Amazon, my, Amazon, like then. Yeah, cool. my Amazon Prime order just like mysteriously canceled itself. And I was like, dude, that's a fucking Ooh, sign. That's a sign. That is a sign. <laughs> <laughs> but then someone else was just like, uh, you know, maybe your po- toilet paper order just like got disappeared. And like, you know, you can't base your whole life off of like, you know, something like that. So what do you, how do you kind of tell? I don't know. Like what, what do you, how do you figure out what these signs are and like the, the authenticity of them? Yeah, I think, I think you can actually count on those things to be a sign. It's, it's really a question of like, how magical are you willing to fucking be, right? Like if you want to live your life like a magical person who magical shit happens for, you will have that. If you want to live a life where everything's mediocre and you're just like a normal person who like does fun things once in a while, but overall your life is just a giant fucking shithole, like (laughs) you can have that. Like you can have whatever you choose. So it really is a matter of choice. And like if you choose to see a world of wonder, 
where your Amazon account could be like a vo- the voice of God. <laughs> um, I think that's a choice we make. So that's one thing. And I, it also I sounds like that. faith. Like you almost have to have like this kind of like trust and faith. Which, you know, I feel like, like I wasn't raised super religious. So like the concept of faith for me is like a little bit harder to grasp, you know? I wasn't raised with religion either. My father was an awakened shaman who was like Mr. Miyagi. So you have the coolest freaking backstory. Got a weird story for sure. Maybe we should just pause and like go into like (laughs) how you are the way you are. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I can briefly say that like my mom died when I was six. My father was an awakened shaman who like drank a lot of vodka and played the saxophone, and you know was literally like Eckhart Tolle, like floated around, and uh, he raised me, and I studied this sacred work with him my whole life. Got signed to Sony records when I was 18 because I was like a depressed human who wrote really kick-ass music and then uh, got hooked on drugs and alcohol and all the things and then my life just kind of spiraled out of control until you know a series of everyone in my family dying followed by my first daughter uh, Ula dying at four months old of sudden infant death syndrome my house burnt down my best friend hung himself Mm -hmm. um, and then my father died and he was kind of like my you know, I didn't have a God. I didn't have a spiritual practice that was any, there was no center to. He was that for me. Because mm. anytime I was around him, I was like high as a kite. And he died. And when he died, I just was like, I can't um, keep going. And I finally got clean. And um, I kicked heroin and cocaine in one day. And, um, you know, like. In one day. Yeah. Well, it was like two really excruciating days for anyone who's ever like watched like the Ray Charles biopic or something like you you know that's what it looked like like it was just like guttural horrible pain and your your skin is crawling and you know and after two days I was like I'm done (laughs) and that was it and I, I just you know what they call it cold turkey But I really felt held by something then. And I'm not religious. And I I say that over and over again because my work is, I think it's a bridge to the spiritual. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, yeah, you can totally fucking have a life that has zero spirituality in it. You can make lots of money. You can have lots of sex. You can have, you know, lots of like fun activities. You can. It's just, that's the beautiful thing about spirituality is that it's this invisible thing that you could live without. But if you choose to reach towards it, this invisible thing, your life becomes sweet in a way that it will never, ever, ever be without it. Yeah. Like you either have it or you don't. It's totally up to you. And the good news is you don't have to fucking do it. It's totally up to you. Right. But if you do, it's like, shit, man, shit gets really delicious. You yeah. know, life gets, it's like Technicolor. It's like sort of like that movie Pleasantville or whatever where everything's black and white. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they like see the, the truth. You Dude, know? Like, such an underrated movie. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even know if I've ever seen that. Oh God, film, but I just so remember good. how it was like black and white and all of a sudden it was color. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. No, that's really interesting. And I, and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on and like close this season out because like, a lot of people, and like I never was raised with spirituality, like a lot of spirituality or something like that. And it is something that you can learn and it is something yeah. that you can pick up if you like kind of dive in a little bit or maybe even try like manifestation practices. Like yeah. that's kind of what got me hooked. I was like, I read The Secret when I was like 18 and I was like, I really want to get to New York. And I felt like I manifested that for myself. Yeah. And I was like, this is fucking magic. It's magic. It's magic. So, um, and that's, and it's cool because like, you know, I feel like people, all over the country who might listen to this, like if you're in like, even in Kansas or like Iowa and like never heard of like meditation, like you could 
eventually get into this and this could potentially change your life which yeah is and don't read rad. the secret read don't just sit there 44 insights yeah. <laughs> yeah we're gonna link we're obviously gonna link um Biet's book in show notes so you guys should obviously check that out when we close this out i kind of want to ask you to like walk us through a little a little meditation because i think it's just cool to like if you're if you're curious if you're if you've never done one before or yeah. i think it's it's cool to kind of hear it for yourself and see but before we jump into that, I did kind of, because I, I can relate to this and, um, you know, hearing that little voice inside you that is telling you something, but you do not want to accept it. You were like, no, I can't do yeah. this. And it's it'd be way too hard to do this. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned, you know, to ask like what you would get in return or to ask for like some kind of path. For somebody, I kind of want to give you an example to say, to see if like what you would do in this situation. Because yeah. I've I've heard this, people write, send me DMs and stuff on Instagram about like their issues. And I this one is just jumping out to me. So I feel like I have sure. to like ask you. Let's say like this, this woman is married, yeah. middle of nowhere, doesn't work. Her husband is the provider. Mm-hmm. She has that voice inside that's saying like, this isn't right. Yeah. You need to get out. Mm. And it that it in her course she understands mm. that she needs to do that, but she has no idea how to make that course correction. Mm. You know, she doesn't feel like prepared. She doesn't feel like financially ready or any of those things. So, yeah. if you're in a position like that, and I feel I can almost imagine what that must feel like. That must yeah. feel like you're almost trapped, even though you know, even though you hear that voice and you understand, but just not knowing like what to do. Like, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I can first start by saying that my life was that trapped to begin with. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking like, oh, who is this fucking like white bitch? Like, I'm not that. (laughs) Like, I grew up in the ghetto. Like, I'm, you know, from Queens and I had no fucking money. Everyone died. And I just never could. I didn't even know. Like, to me, the idea of making more than $20 an hour was like, how does one do that? Like, I just didn't know. So wherever you are, I promise you, you can move from that state to another state. And what I used to get out of there was a thing that feeling, right? It's Mm -hmm. the law of attraction concept of, I began to allow myself, this took years to really perfect, beginning to feel that I was where I was going. Right. So if I'm that woman trapped in the Midwest and like have this husband who like pays for things, I began to feel what it would be like to have my own money coming in and Mm. to be a cosmopolitan woman living. Maybe if you want to be on the coast, on the coast, like visualize my apartment, visualize the ocean, visualize the sounds. And before I would go to sleep at night, I would let myself feel the feelings of what it would be like to be that woman and over and over, let it wash over me. And at first it burns like it makes you feel like you're going to tear off your skin because it's so not true. Like I would look at my bank account and I had like $3 (laughs) and then I would be like, I'm amazing. I'm shopping at Barney's like at night, visualizing this stuff. But today I fucking shop at Barney's. Like, damn girl. Yeah, girl. Like I've got a Celine bag that I just bought. What? Like that that shit's real, you know? And to think of a Celine bag, like I couldn't even think of a fucking, I couldn't think of like a Mark Jacobs bag. Like I just couldn't. Yeah. the, The stretch. It just... I was not where I was going. So is this something you still do every single day? Is this like a practice you would say? For sure. Yeah, I still do it. Today, I'm not dreaming of Celine bags though because I have one. So now it's like, now it's the next thing and the next thing. And the 
The beautiful thing is the question people have, because I think people don't want to dream of the next thing, is because they don't they don't want to blaspheme what they already have. Mm. So like they feel like it's kind of blasphemous to think, oh, I have this other thing because I should be grateful for what I have. Even if all you have is some gruel and like a shitty apartment with roaches in it, like at least you should be grateful for that because your mama taught you you should be. That's how I was raised. Mm-hmm. Like you should be grateful for what you have. And what I learned was you can do both. Like you could be grateful for what you have and still reach for the stars. And it's no one's, it feels like a sin a little bit because there's a lot of us, again, I'm not religious, but like we've been fed a lot of bullshit ideas about what gratitude looks like. And to me, gratitude looks like feeling the burn of the distance between where I am today and where I'm going. That pain keeps me going. And I feel like, oh, as long as I'm still in pain, that that rough kind of burning sensation, I know I'm moving in the right direction. And it's like, it's hot and it's sexy and it's calling me. And it's not necessarily easy, but it's it's delicious. Yeah, that's so awesome. I kind of want to like, I feel like that's the meditation I want you to take us through because I feel like there's so many people who are trying to grow, trying to expand, trying to get to that next level, you know, make that course correction, whatever it is. So like, mm. I almost want you to like walk us through like sure. what you do, because I'm going to steal it. basically I'm going to use this for me okay real quick so we are about to jump into a little manifestation slash meditation with Biet so if you are driving or walking around town this is a really good time to pause the episode and come back when you can sit and close your eyes and I know some of you are like what the fuck is going on here but just trust me on this one if you've never done a guided meditation before why not like give it a real shot? This is a judgment-free zone and Biat is like a pro of pros. All right, are you all set? Let's get back to Biat. All right, so just take a seat where you're sitting or if you'd like to stand, stand. I don't care. And the point of meditation isn't to follow some fucking rule. So don't feel like pressured to do it in any particular way. But start to feel your body where you're sitting. And breathe. It's it's super natural uh, not to breathe. Breathing is just natural, but supernatural to notice that you're breathing. So just notice that you're breathing. And now I just want you to notice how you feel about your actual life. I just want you to look around at your life, look at your romance, look at your finance. And just be real. Be real with what your what it actually is. Like that bank account, exactly what it looks like. And look at that romance. Look at what you're what you're dating. Who you're dating. And how does that look? How does that feel? And how about your career? What do you do for a living? See yourself at work, or if you don't work and you're like, you know, like on a couch somewhere, like playing video games, or or you've given up on yourself and you're just like living in your mom's basement. Like feel that. Or if you've got some big fancy career, like notice that, just like the ego in that and all the feelings. And and now notice your stuff, right? So you got stuff, you got clothes, you got cars, you got houses, apartments, all that. Feel your living quarters and all that. And I want you to just send um, some gratitude towards all that. Even if it sucks, even if it's like a big piling heap of shit, just be like, well, at least I'm alive, right? And the way to do that is just be like, well, you know, at least there's this or at least there's that. At least my heart's still beating. 
Deep breath in. And release. And now I want you to visualize where you'd like to be in life. I didn't cover all the domains, so let's start with some that I haven't even brought in. So, like, let's look at friendships, community. What does that look like? I want you to imagine what it would have it look like if you could have whatever you wanted, clear blue sky, and feel that feeling. Maybe you're having a beer with someone, oh, having a laugh around the, on the beach. Maybe you're having some tea. Maybe you're reconnecting with family in a way that you haven't in a while, and it's Christmas, whatever it is. Just feel the community and feel like that hearty feeling of being surrounded by love and taken care of. And now I want you to look at your bank account. Look in your wallet. Look at the actual wallet that you keep money in. This is clear blue sky. Any wallet you want. Money, the amount, any amount you want. How much do you want? Woo! It hurts, right? Like, it's like, how am I going to make all that money? Don't worry about that. Don't worry about how you're going to make it. Just feel the feeling of having that amount of money. And for some, it's going to be hundreds of thousands. And don't worry. It's not like this is the final meditation. You could do this meditation in two years and then turn it into millions. Like, you can do whatever you want. I promise you. And so feel that money. And see yourself spending that money. Buying yourself, like, a nice like $7 latte. And notice the joy of like just giving that money over and getting that latte, that beautiful, I call money appreciation. I see money as like a way that I appreciate the things that are given to me, like even electricity. Like as I pay my Con Ed bill, I'm like, mm, gotta love that light. Gotta love it. Love that fridge. <laughs> and now I want you to see romance. Clear blue sky, you have any partner you want, or if you want multiples, great. Anything you want. And feel yourself in that relationship. It's like that scene in Annie Hall where they're like cooking lobsters together. So sweet. And you're like in this summer rental together and having great sex and kisses. And just visualize it all exactly as you would have it. And now career. See yourself in the job career of your dreams. Maybe you work remotely. Maybe you're in Bali. Or maybe if you're that woman that we're speaking about earlier in the episode, you've, you know, you've just moved. You just got in your car and you trusted. And feel that wind as you drive. And you know, you know you have a way out of wherever you are. You know it. And just feel that feeling of that incredible career. And you may come out of this meditation and you may hate me. And you may be like, fuck that bitch. And I'm only saying that because I did. I felt that way for years. I listened to people who peddled this shit and I was like, I'm fucking broke. I'm broke. I'm single. Don't worry about hating me. I can take it. Hate on me as much as you want. Just keep doing this meditation. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. And then 
Let's see. And now before we end, I just want you to get ready, take one deep breath, inhale through the nose, and release. I want you to picture a beautiful ball of light in your chest. And imagine that this light isn't this all-knowing, omnipotent source. And this source is the source that will bring you to all the results that we just covered in this meditation. And I want you to just simply ask this light inside your chest, please help me. You can say the words out loud in your car, in your home, wherever you are, please help me. I know you're here. I don't know what the fuck you are, but I believe in you. I believe in you. And you're the thing that makes me beautiful. You're the thing that makes me beautiful. Please guide me, direct my thinking today, and make me the person you would have me be. And you just start with, please help me. And then if we were together longer, I would take you through a round of lots of other amazing things. So feel free to stay connected. But in the meantime, just let it go. A little shake. And then power into the day in a way that you've never done before. Damn, girl. That was amazing. Thank you so much for that. Wow. That was powerful. Thanks. And uh, anyone listening, if you liked that, we can. Where can we find more of you? Because there, you have a lot of stuff. If you, if you know, if you're interested. Yeah, uh, I have a record that you could listen to. So if you want to meditate with my music, it sort of sounds like if Coldplay and Cat Power had a baby. Um, <laughs> it's on Spotify. My name Biet, not my last name. The Lunar is the record. And then I have a book coming out. You can have it on audio or in the actual book form. It's on Amazon. Or like all booksellers. Uh, and if you're like in a foreign country, there's, you know, whatever, Australian, Amazon. And it's called Don't Just Sit There. And um, that's by me, Biet Simkin. And then there's also my website, bietsimkin.com. And there's meditations on there. And my Instagram, Guided by Biet, is a great way to connect with me. I actually do, like, when I have a minute away from my book launch, will, like, respond to you. <laughs> so, um, you know, I just, I feel very honored to to guide. So please do stay connected. And my Instagram it may be the best way to, like. Yeah. And then you do events and things like that. And everyone, if, if they, you come to their city, they can find you that way. A hundred percent. I do events. I do events globally. So if you see that I'm coming there, uh, please come. And and if you don't see that I'm coming there, maybe uh, course correct and get, get in a car <laughs> and drive to where I am so that I can change your life forever. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Piet. Wow, that is a wrap on our course correction episode and a wrap on season one of the Big Kid Problems podcast. I really hope you enjoyed the episode and just this whole season in general. It was honestly a complete labor of love. And believe it or not, the season actually took six months to create. And that's partially because I didn't really know what I was doing at first, but also because I really wanted to do my research on topics, find the right people for each episode, and give you guys something of value with every single episode. And apparently that shit takes time. So that is why I'm doing seasons of this podcast instead of just turning them out weekly, at least not yet. But I really do want to make sure that I honor your time and deliver you thought out, well-produced episodes every single time you tune in. With that being said, do not worry. I am already hard at work on season two and we'll be back this fall. And hey, I may even drop a few bonus episodes over the summer. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast. You can get them as soon as they drop.
I'll also keep you guys updated over social media. So if you haven't done so already, this would be a really good time to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> I am at Big Kid Problems and on my personal, it's at Sarah A. Merrill underscore. And both are linked in show notes. So I made it really nice and easy for you. I want to give a big time shout out to my guests this week, Biet Simkin, Hannah Burner, and Taylor Strucker. If you are looking for a new podcast before I come back, check out Hannah and Taylor's. As you could tell from this episode, they're both hilarious and awesome. And I've linked both of their shows in show notes as well. Um, fun fact, I'm actually doing a little crossover episode with Hannah this week. So if you check out her show, I will be on. And full disclosure, I was on like a lot of cough syrup when we recorded that episode. So I have like pretty much no filter and really overshare. So if you're into that sort of thing, it'll be fun. Check it out. Um, I also want to thank all the guests we've had on over this entire season, plus all of our incredible sponsors that allowed this podcast to even get produced in the first place. But most importantly, I want to thank all of you for tuning in week after week. I hope that you've enjoyed these episodes and gotten some value. And if you did, my one ask is, you know, just pay it forward. This season will live on in iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcast. So Maybe, you know, send a link to some friends who you think might like it or post your favorite episode on your Instagram story this week. I mean, I may or may not be giving away some prizes if you do. So just a thought. Also, if you've ever enjoyed one of these episodes, please, please, please leave a little review on iTunes. Every little bit helps and I would just appreciate it so, so much. As always, Thank you again for spending your hour with me. I know your time is valuable and there are many other options out there to choose from. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you and stay tuned for more episodes coming soon. 